0: This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work at pcaac.org. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Gordon Moore and John Purcell on pastoral secession. Gordon Moore is the CFO at Perimeter Church in Atlanta. John Purcell served as the staff director at Perimeter for 16 years. Today, he is a leadership coach who helps churches, businesses, and nonprofits grow in their effectiveness. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2014 General Assembly. Let's listen as John and Gordon give practical advice to churches in pastoral transition.
1: My name is John Purcell and I'd like to introduce Gordon Moore. We're going to partner together in doing this. And I want to tell you a little bit uh, about Gordon. Gordon is on staff with Perimeter Church. He started out as the business administrator and now with the bigger church, it's got a fancy title of director of support ministries or something like that. And he's been on staff the longest of any person other than Randy Pope, 29 years. Gordon has been there, and so I can tell you after uh, my time of working closely with Gordon, this is a guy that knows everything there is to know about what he does at Perimeter and and beyond that, and he's a real uh, great uh, teammate to have. Also, Gordon was with RBI, was a business administrator for RBI for several years before that. He's a certified financial planner and uh, has a wife, Joy, and two daughters and two sons-in-law, and uh, he's a great golfer, as well.
2: So uh, that's Gordon. Right. Thanks, John. And
1: I want to introduce John to you here.
2: John and I worked together for 17 years at Perimeter Church. John was our staff director and, and uh, just a, a great strategic thinker. Probably the best I've been around, actually. And uh, very much appreciated his leadership. And now he's an organizational health consultant, both in profit and non-profit. And, uh, um, so I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say on this. Before coming to Perimeter, John was a manager for Westinghouse for, I believe, about 17 years also, or 18 mm-hmm, years. 18. So he has a tremendous background. John's married to Cindy, has two kids, both both married and, um, in the Atlanta area. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to John here. Uh, before we start, let me just open this up with prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I just uh, thank you for this time together. Lord, a very serious subject of, of transitions and succession, and uh, so many opportunities for for feelings to be hurt and uh, for for hard feelings to go on for years after a, a transition. Lord, I pray that, that even as we speak about this today and talk, uh, that you're you're honored through this time. Pray that even as we have people here that are going through that, perhaps people that are healing from that. Or, uh moving on from transitions just pray that you be glorified through this. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. I hadn't uh, planned on saying this, but as Gordon was praying, I just thought of a story. There was a guy named Wayne Dyer, and before I was a Christian, I used to listen to his motivational tapes back in the cassette tape days. And Wayne Dyer was one of these guys, maybe you've seen him on public TV sometime, that would say, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and you're important, and you can do it, and all that kind of stuff. And so one day uh, Wayne said, I don't have life insurance. When I die, I want it to be a real tragedy. (laughs) (laughs) So we want to have a succession plan for your church because we don't want it to be as much of a tragedy or maybe even no tragedy at all when your pastor moves on. So don't take Wayne Dyer's uh, example there. Um, the premise of uh, what the, my part of what I'm going to be talking about is summed up by a quote from one of the uh, principal consultants at SEMA. Some of you may have used SEMA to search for a pastor or for another key staff member. And in working uh, with a Christian school, and SEMA, who was involved in the Christian school, I found out that they and I have the same principles regarding this issue and so I asked this lady for a statement of what they believe about succession and in particular what a church should do when it's doing succession and this statement is so great that I wanted you to see it word for word and actually read it to you. As consultants who work with boards during executive transitions, we firmly believe that one of the board's key responsibilities is to set the vision and direction of the organization, church, school, or nonprofit, and that's who they work with, by developing a long range strategic plan. Certainly, the board should give a new leader some elbow room to tweak the plan, but it should not leave strategic planning entirely up to the new leader. Rather, the board should define where it wants the organization to go and then find the leader who will take it there. Now, having read that and heard that, Any questions that that raises in your mind? Anything about that statement? That would be a question you'd like to hear more about or maybe even would like to challenge. Anybody? Yes. Well, I've I've always been mystified by the idea
2: of churches having strategic plans. I mean, I understand churches vary in terms of their location and the circumstances that they're in, but we're all kind of in the same business. The strategic plan is to gather and perfect the elect, and I'm not sure.
1: Okay, so just a question about a strategic plan in general. Should a church have a strategic plan? How about any other questions or things you'd like to hear unpacked about this? <clears throat> How does the idea with the board translate to a church? Okay, session. Okay. what would the board, okay, board versus session, okay? What else? Board. Okay, Board versus Church. All right, any others? All right. Well, here's, um, I think before I get to this, I'm going to tell you a story about a church. I got a call from an elder, and this was a not the PCA, but it was another Presbyterian denomination. And the elder said, our pastor has announced he's going to retire in 14 months. And so I'm wondering... Is there anything we should be doing to get ready for that? We're not planning to do anything in particular except to select a a committee to go out and search for the new person. Uh, But what do you think? And I asked him a couple questions. I said, well, tell me about your pastor. Well, he's been here 34 years, and he is probably the world's greatest preacher. Honestly, we all think that much of his preaching. And besides that, I mean, we're a fairly large church, And yet, everybody seems to think he's their personal pastor, so he's probably like the world's greatest pastor. And I said, you guys are in deep trouble. (laughs) You're going to replace him. And then uh, another elder called me later and uh, talked about the same thing. In the end, I said, I'd be glad to come talk to your elders about things that you should be thinking about. In the end, the elders decided, the session decided, we're good, we're pretty smart people and uh, we're all, you know, we don't need anybody to help us with this. And so fast forward to a couple of months ago, I happened to be thinking about the church, so I shot this elder an email and said, hey, what's happening with your succession? He says, we have a search team that the congregation elected, and they're out there searching for a new pastor. Um, I said, what kind of a pastor are they searching for? You know, what kind of a person are they looking for? This is an elder, an active member of the session of the church. His answer was, I don't have any idea. Oh dear. oh dear, there you go. So there's a lot wrong with that picture. What we want in our new pastor, I think, is someone that can lead the church toward the vision and mission of the church. We want someone that can exemplify the core values of the church. Someone that fits the culture of the church. Someone that can move the church to any modifications you might want in your culture. If you want in the future the culture to be a little different, you know, can the leader move us toward that? And some of that fits the church in its current and future size dynamics. Now if the term size dynamics is familiar you've probably read, you've probably read Tim Keller's article called Leadership and Church Size Dynamics, where Keller says that as a church grows from a church under a hundred to a church over 200, 300, and so forth, we need to lead differently. Things need to look different in this church. The pastor needs to look different. He needs to uh, learn to lead in a different way because the church is a, is a little bit of a different animal or a lot of a different animal as it grows through those stages. So that's what I mean by size dynamics. Will this person be a good fit for your size dynamics? And then will he be right for your session? I, notice I didn't say, will he be a good fit for your session. There might be a good comfortable fit for your session that would not rock the boat, not make waves, but maybe that isn't the best thing your session needs. So I would rather say, will he be right for your session? Now, this issue of organizational culture, I don't think there's anything more important than that. And I've actually written articles about understanding culture and changing organizational culture. Your culture is most exemplified by your real core values not the core values that might be uh, written down somewhere but the ones that are real and there are different types of core values and the real ones are the ones that are true and everybody knows they're true whether you've written them down or not and that can be good core values or it could be accidental core values so you can have things that you didn't necessarily want to be part of your culture but they are so those, uh, those are, are who you are today as a church. And if you can identify your real core values and your accidental core values, that pretty much identifies your culture. And in addition, you could select one or two aspirational core values, which means this is how we want to be, but we aren't. And we're willing to do the hard work to get there. So how long does it take to change the culture of an organization? Years. Not, not months, years. So aspirational doesn't mean we'd like it to be true, so we'll write it down. Aspirational means we realize it isn't true, we're willing to do the hard work over years to make it true. But if your new pastor doesn't fit the aspirational core values, the church is never going to look like that. But there's an overlap. He needs to also exemplify who you are today that you want to stay, that you want to remain that way. So I'm going to give you a fictitious example. If any of you are a member of a church named Grace Church, this isn't you. That's why it's in quotes. Grace is not the name of this church, but this is a real church. So this church um, had a a pastor that left uh, under um, difficult and unfortunate circumstances, so it wasn't something they planned. The pastor was a very strong leader. He was a very directive leader. And the uh, session of the church decided we uh, need to find a new pastor, so let's hurry up and put together a search team and let's go to get a new pastor as fast as we can. And they happened to be talking to another consultant that's a friend of mine. that was a friend of the church. And uh, he said, well, do you have a vision and values and a mission? And they said, yes. And he said, Is, are they real? Do you guys all buy into them? And they said, no. He said, why not? They said, well, the other pastor wrote those on his own, and they really don't, we really haven't ever made those ours. But we need to go get a new pastor really fast so he can bring in a vision to us and so that he can bring core values to us. And this guy said, that would be the absolute worst thing you could do right now. You bring a guy in under those circumstances, and you are going to have any idea whether he's going to fit your church. So you need to now do what that first quote said, which is, as the key leaders of the church, and this is the answer to the question, uh, who is the church, who is the board? Well, with the church, the session leads. And the session needs to own the ministry plan of the church. The pastor needs to own it too. But if the pastor is the only one that owns it, like in their case, when he leaves, the vision leaves. Who are we now? We suddenly have an identity crisis. The identity needs to be owned by the session by the elders so I ended up having the opportunity to work with this church and uh, they came up with a purpose statement And this was their purpose statement this is why we exist as a church they came up with a set of core values grace truth and faithfulness and they define those and they came up with a set of what they called what we do values which you can see right there and the little a's mean they recognized that those particular values were aspirational. They did not describe who that church is now. So they also identified they had some accidental values that they weren't proud of, but were equally true of the church, and those were the accidental values. Avoiding healthy conflict, uh, they had a families-only focus, so singles didn't feel comfortable or welcome at the church. As they would like them to have. They had a missions program which was what they called giving only. Our missions program is we give to missions. We don't do missions. We aren't a mission ourselves. They had a worship style which is they described as high and complex and they had spiritual what they called spiritual neglect of members and they're too slow to move. Now that sounds really negative and they were being they were being brutally honest. They're saying we're the elders We're responsible for this stuff. And so this is stuff we want to recognize where we are today as a church. They came up with a vision statement then, which you can read there. And then they came up with a mission statement. We want to accomplish that vision by those four particular points. And then they had a little bit more descriptive information what those points meant. Now, these elders had described with a lot of prayer and a lot of work this didn't happen in one afternoon. What they believe God's call was on their church. They've now described a vision, a mission, and values for their church. Having done that, oh, the one other thing that they that they uh, came up with is our session is made up, and we did personality profiles of everybody. Our session is made up of conflict-avoidant personalities, which has led to some of the other things that you saw up there. And we have a history of being driven by a directive leader. So all those things combined, we talked about what would be the critical position requirements of your new leader. What kind of a man will be right for this church in this particular history uh, position that the church is in? And that's a list of the absolute must-haves that they were looking, said, we need in a new leader. And you can see those things are addressing uh, what they had come up with. So the church did elect a search team according to the book of church order and the session sat down with the search team, unpacked all of what you've just seen, said this is who God has called us to be as a church. This is the kind of a leader we want you to go look for. Now the church te- search team has something to sink their teeth into. The search team doesn't start out saying, who do we think this church should be? Because the elders have spoken. And... Um, before we go to that, uh, fast forward to today, the church has just made a call to a man and they feel like this man fits their CPRs, critical position requirements, they have a lot of hope for the future, and the new leader comes in knowing who the church wants to be, who they are, who they want to transition to be, and they feel like the man is a pretty good fit for both, and that's the ideal situation. And um, now I'm going to turn it over to Gordon. He's going to share some different pers- additional perspectives other than, uh, than these. And then we're going to leave plenty of time when we're done for a lot of Q&A. You know,
2: two years ago, I had the chance to take a sabbatical or a study leave for about, um, I guess, five or six weeks and visit 20 churches and we were we were approaching Transition of Perimeter Church, just the front end of it. Randy was I think sixty years old and we were just starting to talk about it and thought it'd be a good idea just to go out and, and get information, talk to as many people as I as I could. So I John helped me actually put a list together and I had another consultant or two that helped me and uh, we came up with a list of twenty churches and we were looking for churches that had varied backgrounds in terms of, we really wanted five or so that were really stinkers in terms of how the transition uh, went. And we wanted to find five or so that it really worked okay. out well. And, and that's kind of the way it worked out. is We had about ten that were either facing it or were going through it right at the time I, I met with them. So I, I got a great um, experience, I guess, from from the, talking to the various groups. I was wondering, for the people we have here, just, just to show a hands, how many of you are going through a transition right now? Okay, okay great. Uh, how many of you have recently completed one? One, okay, good. Um, be, there's, I saw a video from Chick-fil-A that showed all the stories behind people serving. I'd, I'd love to know hmm. uh, what, what really is going on. Um, out there in that. But at any rate, I, I sat down with a couple of consultants and came up with a list of, I had about five statements that I thought were true. And and I was going to go out and that would be my starting point. So I would just uh, meet with the the people I could meet with on staff or key elders. And uh, then I would just go back to my hotel room and write. And, and as I traveled to each church, I would just start ranking these points and and trying to determine the validity behind them. They're not scientific, but I I believe these principles are true, and you're going to face them regardless of your your size. By the way, when I started at Perimeter, we're we're real big now, but um, when I started, I think we had about 400 members, which is still a big church. But we've planted 45 churches since then, and I've been involved in every one of them. So I, I have a lot of experience with smaller ministries too. And I believe these principles will be just as true uh, no matter what size church you have. And, and uh, so let me just start walking through them now. The first one is, uh, it, when I was coming up with the the five points I had, one of one of the guys was a Harvard MBA consultant, and he was saying, Gordon, when we send people out, uh, I think he'd worked with McKenzie, and he said, we're going to send you out for over a month. You can't just come back and say, uh, it's really important. You know, the, the bar is higher than that. You know, you just, you've just, you got to be able to come back. He said, we use something that McKenzie called the million-dollar slide, and that is if the rest of your, your report or engagement with a client is so-so, that one slide is worth a million dollars to the company you're working with. And I would say from my, from my journey, this would be the million-dollar slide. The current senior pastor is the most important person, And is more important than timing or the strategy and what I mean by that is every church I visited when when I was talking about the five stinkers in every case the senior pastor felt like he was being forced out or felt like the timing wasn't right or in some way felt like um, he didn't want to be a, a part of having a successful transition and when that person didn't want to have a um, didn't feel like he was being treated fairly. It did not go well. I can tell you that now. If you're going through a transition, so I, my my point would be to to really try to seek the pastor's heart. Hopefully, it's a situation where it's a it is a good situation, and you can try to um, help the pastor uh, work through you know whatever transition is going on. I've, one of the churches I visited was a very large national church, and you would you would certainly know the pastor if I gave his name but uh, we, I was able to sit in on his session meeting and they were talking about um, how he was going to be used in his transition and I remember sitting there that night and uh, after the, about three hours of meetings the theme I heard very clearly was he is a good soldier and I heard that over and over again he's a good soldier and I wasn't even sure what that meant but I think it meant he'll do whatever we want him to do and so after hearing that and, and hearing them describe, and they had a multi-campus uh, ministry, and they were trying to decide, are we going to hire pastors for each of those campuses? Or are we going to um, uh, are we gonna let him keep preaching? And, and I don't know how. They were just trying to figure it out. But I remember finally one of the elders said, well, the good thing is he's a good soldier. Mm-hmm. He will do whatever we want him to do. And they were going to close in prayer. I said, can I just say something real quick? Uh, I've visited eight churches at this point. I said, you've you've mentioned he's a good soldier, and I'm sure he is a good soldier. But my advice to you, based on the churches I've seen, is it will go a lot better if what you're asking him to do is what he wants to do in terms of transition. He's being treated fairly. And they said, well, what what do you suggest? And, And I said, well, my suggestion would be to say in your heart of hearts, what's your desire as to this transition? And, and let him talk to you about that and see if there's not a match because if there is, it will go so much better. And uh, they were just entering six weeks of prayer at that time and, and um, they, you know, they, they listened to me. But I said, the second thing you haven't even mentioned other than he's a good soldier is my second point here. I said, you haven't even mentioned his wife. And that's a big deal. Uh, in fact, it's huge. In every church was a stinker. They, they didn't even pay attention to the wife for the most part. They, and even though she might have had a key role for 30 or 40 years, uh, there was no mention or very little uh, dealing with her. And so I mentioned this to this group. And when I mentioned that, this pastor just started weeping. And, and um, the elder was sitting next to him after we prayed, came up and said, What happened was when you, when you mentioned that, he just started crying and said, This has been going on for, this transition's been, been going on for a couple of years, and no one's even mentioned my wife, and I know that's going to be a huge. And, and so the elder said, We're on it, we're on it. So, so uh, I, I, I really want to talk to him and find out how it worked out because he has retired now and they transitioned. I'd be interested to, to hear that. So in terms of the spouse, what I've seen churches do is they'll actually—I'm a, again a certified financial planner. Security's a big issue with with spouses when they're going through transition, and 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 the churches that have done it right, in my opinion, have come alongside and helped uh, in financial planning to make sure that she knows and they know that that there is a good financial plan and that they're uh, they're going to be moving through that. And then second. There have been uh, regular counselors, emotional counselors, just helping process through. One of the books I really enjoyed reading uh, was about Southeast Christian Church in, in Louisville, Kentucky. And Bob Russell was the pastor there. And he went to his wife when he was retiring, and he said, we're going to leave for a year once I re- retire so that David Stone, the new pastor, could could uh, have, get a good start. And she said, well, Bob, uh, my my kids are here, my grandkids are here, I'm the bookstore manager, I'm not going anywhere. And, and Bob said, yeah, actually you are, you know, you're, for a year you're gonna, we're gonna leave and, and give David a chance to get leader, leadership experience and that's, that's what happened. But um, so I would say my second point is definitely lean into the, the spouse and make sure she's loved well through this whole process. Next one is, is talking about succession is disruptive. Before I left, uh, I was talking to the President of Leadership Network uh, about my journey, and he was telling me, well, you should go to this church, shouldn't go to that church. And, and he, he mentioned, you know, Gordon, as you're going through this, how's Randy doing? And, and I said, I think he's fine. I said, he said, well, you know, I would bet this is dis- disruptive to Randy. And I said, really? No, I don't think so. Randy's pretty secure. And, and um, he said, I'd challenge you to call him when we had done it. I said, I will. So I called Randy, and he said, oh, absolutely. This is very disruptive, you going on this trip. Not not you going on the trip. I'm glad you're doing it. I want to get the points out of it. But he said, Gordon, I've had staff coming to me since you were assigned that task, just asking what's going on and boy, do we need to be looking for a job and, and are you entering a transition? And, and uh. so he said, absolutely, It's it's been disruptive. But it, even even for myself, it." it he said, "I start thinking longer thoughts." But um, uh, so, just talking about it is disruptive. I had staff members just because we were doing this seminar that were interested in what are you going to be saying and what's going on at perimeter, and and um, um, so. And, and I can tell you, Randy works in five-year increments. He's in the middle of one now, and in, in a couple of years he'll hit that. and Lord willing, he'll he'll sign up for another five years. But we're and I'll talk to you about some of the planning, some of the principles that that you know, reusing that as we go through here, but um, it don't kid yourself at all, it's very disruptive to even be talking about this. So next point is and John's already talked a little bit about this, but defining what uh, success looks like and you know, mentioning on the um, the, the prior point along with this one, I, I talked to one um, executive pastor at a very large PCA church and, and their pastor had never never talked about uh, succession plan. He didn't want to talk about it. Said they can take care of it when I when I pass on. It tried it one time and it was very disruptive. Decided I wasn't going to do that again. So, um, but I think you do need to define what success looks like. And again, since John's talked so much about that, I'll we'll uh, handle that in Q and A too. But well, next one is uh, of these twenty churches. The Mack truck came up over and over again of. Oh, you need a Mac truck plan I said and I, I kind of got into the habit each time I went to church, I said, "Great, could you show me your mac truck plan?" and nobody had one uh of the well there was actually only one church that had one, and uh that that church actually went bankrupt It was out in <coughs> California, but they needed one but um but no other church had one some some executive pastor said, Oh, we have one, and I said, Great, could I see it and, well it's actually a concept, more of just we've, we've talked a little bit about what would happen if if uh, something happened to the pastor. So I would encourage you to be very specific. A perimeter now, we have an emergency plan, and we go over it every year, every August, we, we update it. Randy speaks into it. He has the opportunity to say, if something happened to me, here's what I would suggest from an operational standpoint. Here's what I would suggest from a, um, you know, from a preaching standpoint. Obviously you have a book of church order in the guidelines there that you're working through, but still, it's good to, to, to be strategic on that, in my opinion. But next one is using an interim pastor is a two-edged sword. I saw some churches where uh, the interim pastor would stay too long, and then that would become a problem as far as the, uh, the transition itself. Maybe they'd be stuck in the mud, so to speak, as they, they were... Uh, trying to find that new pastor, but I saw some positive cases too, where an interim pastor could come in and some good change could take place. There, there was one church that I I met with their executive team, and and the pastor only preached out of the King James version of the Bible, as I recall, and the new pastor wanted to preach out of the uh, English Standard, I think, is what it was, and um, he had it took a year of session meetings to allow that pastor to preach out of the ESV and and uh not say one's right, one's wrong, but it was just incredible to me as I was just taking notes as to, wow. And, and the interim, that happened while the interim pastor was there. So in effect, I think it helped the new pastor come in and, and just start talking about some things that would be a little bit different than what the previous pastor had done. So again, there, there can be downside if the interim pastor stays too long. And, and it, the, the term I heard was somewhere around 18 months. Beyond that is... Um, it can be negative. Then should the retiring pastor leave? I mentioned Bob Russell to you at Southeast Christian. That worked out great. They actually had a baton handoff to David Stone, the new pastor, and and Bob left for a year, came back, and I believe is still in that church with his wife now and kids and grandkids. Uh, I talked to other pastors um, where it worked out real well when the, the retiring pastor stayed also. there was, what I heard right off was, oh, no, you should leave. You should definitely leave. And and uh, what I came up with is, well, it just depends. It depends on who that person is. Where it worked well was when the retiring pastor was a big supporter for the new pastor coming on. And that worked pretty well. And there were several instances I, I saw of that. There's one in, in Texas, actually, of a church where the, the The person wanted to stay on, and I think he stayed on in kind of an emeritus role. He had a separate 501c3 organization going also. But he continued to come to the meetings. And I think one day the executive pastor just came to him and said, you need to stop coming to those meetings because every time we have a tough decision, everybody just turns and looks at at you, and you don't don't even know that's happening. And that was the last meeting he ever came to. But he had a little three-step... System, I think if people came to him, he, first off, when he retired, and he did stay there. I don't think he even left for a short period of time, but he made a strong statement. He said, "If I just want you to know that Jeff's our new pastor, and uh, I'm, I'm 100% behind Jeff, think he's the the right choice, and couldn't be happier with with what's um, happening in this transition." So I wanted you to know that, but I also wanted to tell you because i know sometimes people are curious and want to come up to me and ask my opinion my opinion is go talk to jeff or go talk to the executive pastor and i also know that people are going to say okay but i'm an insider what do you really think and and he said at that point i'm going to be rude and i'm telling you that now up front and just go ahead and get ready he said it still took about 20 times for people to come the core group to come up and say, tell me what you're really thinking. And, and he he was rude. And, but he said it, it worked out well. And I spoke with Jeff, and he said the same thing. It worked out. In fact, that when it does work well, it works great because you can be a great um, advocate for that senior pastor. And so many of the, the older folks will look to you, so that can be a really nice thing. How long should the transition last? And and the word, the word, what I saw over and over again was probably no more than two years. That from the beginning to the end should be no more than two years. And it depends on the circumstance of how that new pastor's coming in. But if you have somebody that is close and is coming in and you have the, the, the old pastor around and you're going to transition, one of the stinkers I saw was they went through two or three people that came in and, and the pastor ended up saying i'm not ready and and the 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 new person ended up leaving staff and and it was pretty ugly as you walk through it but in general i'd say about two years is is the most you want to have a, a transition where does the new pastor come from now the churches i looked at where you had real success stories many times um they came from close to the church and some of the some of these were different denominations too, and they actually came from within the church. Where you a lot of times I saw youth pastors or college ministers that would that be there and, and would actually take on more and more leadership, and then would actually take over, and then you have that two-year transition. So there were there were many many different stories of success. And using a planning team, I, I know Briarwood did this when when uh, Frank was. Retiring, and Harry was coming on. They had a team uh, that was meeting, I believe, for at least three years. That was kind of under the radar, and I don't, I don't believe anybody really knew. Uh, in fact, the way I heard the story was that nobody knew, and they they had a session meeting on a maybe a Wednesday night, and by Sunday, when they were going to make the announcement, everybody knew, and <laughs> was well. So, to, for a small team to be able to not. Spill the beans and be able to do planning. What they were doing was, as I understand it, just preparing the way so that still using the Book of Church Order, but being able to just get things lined up in a in a smart way made a lot of sense to me. Probability of a good outcome. I know God is sovereign and and God is in control, and that's that's reassuring, big time. Um, but. When I was working with a leadership network fellow, he was saying, Gordon, you're about to go out here. I encourage you to go out. I think it could be a blessing to other churches to, to be able to experience through your eyes what, what you see. But I don't want to kid you that you can have some magic formula that you can come in and plug it all in. It'll be great, a perimeter, and everything will work fine. It just will not happen that way. And In fact, um, he said, I would bet... From a probability standpoint, if you learn a lot and if if Randy wants it to go well, which he does, um, I would bet you'd have half a chance something like that for it to go well <laughs> and, you know, wow that's that's not great and um, he said if you don't do that, I think it'll it'll you know be much lower maybe you know twenty percent fifteen percent something like that he said but the encouraging part is is. Even though you may only have half a chance, he said, "I've seen churches that it's been terrible the way it's prepared, and the, um, actually people going through the process, and yet some something happens, which something is God. Um, yeah, it works it out, and, and it, it actually is honor God honoring. But um, uh, but you can hopefully make it work a lot easier by going on doing what you're doing. So I think uh, it was a." tremendous journey to be on and and uh, we learned a lot. At Perimeter, again we, we came back and the first thing we did is we, as I mentioned, came up with an emergency plan. We were just like the other churches, didn't have one. And and then we have been working on our um, transition plan every year. We update that also in August. We don't share it with our staff. I had staff members as were coming here saying, can you tell me more about our transition plan? And the answer is no. Uh, again, it's Incredibly disruptive, and it's changing every every August, and um, it's, it's something we're prayerfully working through, but uh, it's 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 in process, so
0: you can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.